Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the TetraCast. My name is Zach Reese. I'm your host. Yes, it is the November 25th, 2017 edition. We are just following Thanksgiving here in the West, uh, particularly America. <laughs> I don't know how it does for other countries as well, uh, but I, I know we're all sort of uh, recovering from the food comas that we put ourselves under. Uh, so joining me for this podcast, first we've got James Glizio. Hello. And Adam Vitale. Hi. Hello to you both. Uh, so yeah, it's been um, a relatively short week in news because, of course, everyone in the industry is on vacation for the last couple of days, uh, in America anyway, <laughs> uh, which is the most, um, makes up most of the of RPG site uh, of people in America. So we kind of took a little bit easy, but that didn't stop the news train from happening because shortly after our podcast, a lot broke. And so we'll definitely get into the biggest topic, uh, specifically of the week along with all the other news that came after that uh but first before we do that we'd like to talk about the games that we've been playing so we can play a little bit of catch up here so james uh you're first up here now last time we talked you of course were sort of catching up on sort of your uh gamecube backlog and well so, not really gamecube but um we we you just we, a bunch of stuff fair enough we shop yeah uh, i forgot that they added a bunch of those games um although there's one game in particular. Oh, yeah, of course. I forgot the fact that the Wii had GameCube backwards compatibility, but not the Wii U. That's right. Uh, didn't yeah. even have, I don't think it did. The Wii U did not even have like DVD support, did it? No, the Wii actually kind of had DVD support through an, unsup- like, an unknown channel yeah. in the Wii's like, in- like information and whatnot. Um, and it's funny because technically the Wii U basically uses blu-rays but not really no it's, it's like it's real it's a, yeah really it's the weird. proprietary garbage once again uh proprietary and, garbage it's basically blu-ray technology but not quite yeah. basically i feel like it's probably a similar situation where they use dvd technology but because they didn't want to license something they couldn't actually support dvd playback but with the wii u that's the same thing but with blu-rays i guess i don't know yeah obviously nintendo still doesn't want to pay other people license fees that's why we still get emails every single time nintendo is part of or wins a court case they just like to rub it in uh anytime that someone challenges their proprietary uh licenses and patents and things like that that's why you don't see a, a optical disc drive on the switch it's because they went completely digital except for those little uh carts of course for the games themselves uh, it makes me think that if they ever went to the time when you're going to finally get like media on those carts as well, like movies, just like the PSP, the UMDs. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I have but thought anyways, about that. <laughs> speaking so, of Nintendo, I yeah. did play Pikmin 3. Yes. I remember that um, I got it when uh, Mario Kart 8 first came out on the Wii U. Got it for my free ver- uh, free game, because I'm not sure if you remember this, but uh, back when Mario Kart 8 came out, if you... Uh, bought it and then registered it on uh, club nintendo you'd be able to get a free wii u game and the selection was better in europe like europe had like 10 games you could choose from and i think um north america or at least america like united states um you had wind waker hd pikmin 3 we party you and then one other game that i completely forgot (laughs) You had the options of, obviously, I went for Pikmin 3 because that seemed like the best deal. Um, I played through about half of it, but then I kind of just never touched it again. Besides, like, one time I played the multiplayer with a friend, like, a few years back. So, since I was already going through um, Rodeo last week, I decided to start up on Pikmin 3. So, I was actually playing it 
before the last podcast, but I just finished it up um, very early this week. Oh. I not sure if it's my favorite or least favorite Pikmin game. And that, that's something really weird to say because obviously two very big extremes. Um, I feel like it's very short. Very, very short. Um, the areas seem definitely a bit smaller. Maybe I'm just misremembering things, but the areas themselves feel smaller than the areas in the other Pikmin games. And it feels like you can unlock every like kind of corner of each map very very quickly because you only have basically four maps and then the one map which is basically a giant boss fight and uh once you get the blue pikmin it's basically like okay great now go to the final boss like immediately so um i love the controls except for like one problem like some some of the controls i was really used to like kind of directing pikmin in line Mm. That was really nice in the uh, Wii version of Pikmin 2. You can't really do that in Pikmin 3, which is a bit of an issue because I'm like the one major concern that everyone has about Pikmin is that those little buggers do not know how to get past walls. No. So not being able to get them in a straight line manually is just really, really annoying because like you'll get like one or two kind of stuck against the wall. You won't notice until it's already too late and it's like, oh, God. Where the hell are they? Just, Can I ask yeah. a quick question? Yeah. So I don't know a whole lot about Pikmin. I've never played any of them. Oh, it's okay. But I'm aware that like the first game had a sort of time limit. Oh, yes. And uh, that I know that was, you know, some people... I know some people liked it because, you know, it's, it's a little bit different and new. But I know they, they loosened it up for the second game. There I don't was know no if time second, limit in the second game. Yeah, I was about to say, like, I don't know if there's just no time limit whatsoever or if they, like, just loosened it up a lot. Is that in the third game at all, or...? Yes and no. It's a bit weird. They kind of went for an in-between approach. So, like, the basic plot of Pikmin 3, and Pikmin plots are basically just vehicles for the gameplay and whatnot, especially in this one. So, you're not playing as Captain Olimar like you played in the first two games. You're playing as a group of uh, three explorers from the planet Kopai, and they're looking around the galaxy for an alternate food supply because the um, food supply on Kopai is basically gone, almost gone. So they're emergency, oh crap, we need to get food. So they end up finding the planet where all the Pikmin games take place and they realize oh there's a bunch of there's a bunch of vegetation there's a bunch of fruit and so one of the main things that you're trying to do when you're playing through the game is you need to collect fruit so kind of like in pikmin 2 you didn't play pikmin 2 but in pikmin 2 you were trying to collect treasure to pay off a debt and this one you're collecting fruit to kind of try and save copa and not only are you does that um, influence the ending you get but for each piece of fruit you get, you get a certain amount of juice. And for every one container of juice you have, that's one more day that you have on the calendar where you don't die. So there's kind I of a soft concept. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I just remember having an extreme amount of nostalgia because I played the first one around the time it came out. And I was a lot younger. I think around the time it came out, I was, what, like maybe... 12 or something like that i I forget exactly the year that it came out but i knew it was like early on in the gamecube because of course there was a pikmin 2 on the gamecube as well and uh, yeah i just had a lot of fun even with the time limits it was just this fascinating thing it was almost like surreal uh like 
There's yeah. no other, no other series like Pikmin, pretty much. Exactly. It's very unique. It was all like a hazy dream when you th- when you think about the design of Pikmin and the and just the um, the look of the characters, of course, but also the world and and how everything is like, honey, I shrunk the kids kind of style, where you're like this little small creatures trying to fight oh, these yeah. gigantic bugs. And so I loved it in that sense. I never actually did follow up and play the second or third, but I did hear that the three does improve upon two, but it did did have problems with like maybe too many types of Pikmin or something like that? Oh, I wouldn't say that's really a problem. Like, oh, both okay. Pikmin 2 and Pikmin 3 have five types of Pikmin that you can play in the main campaign. Pikmin 2 added the purple and white Pikmin. The white Pikmin is smaller, it moves faster, it's um, resistant to poison, and it can find stuff hidden under under the ground and start, like, digging it up. And the purple Pikmin is heavier and can pick up items that maybe other Pikmin aren't as strong enough to be able to pick up. So basically every purple Pikmin would have the strength of 10 regular Pikmin. Purple so Pikmin, try to say that five times fast. Oh gosh. <laughs> and um, the new ones in Pikmin 3 are a bit more out there in the sense that you have flying Pikmin, which don't do as much damage, but they can fly and they can obviously don't have to worry about water so much because they can just fly over it. And then you have rock Pikmin, which you don't have to worry about them getting stabbed or them getting crushed because they, they're rocks. And they can be used to, you can throw them at hard surfaces like these, like glass or crystal surfaces. And they'll, um, just throwing them does a lot of damage. But you also, there are certain things that you need to throw rock Pikmin at to be able to progress. Hmm. So... Um, purple and white Pikmin are still in Pikmin 3, but only in the multiplayer, So, which is actually really good. I do want to stress that if you have someone to play the multiplayer with, it's basically competitive. Like It's score attack, trying to get as many like golden fruit things as possible, and then there's bingo battle where it's like, oh, try and get this fruit so you can cross out this part on the bingo board, and you're fighting against each other, trying to sabotage each other. It's really fun. I only played it once, but I do think that if you want a multiplayer game, like competitive on the Wii U, that's probably one of the best ones out there. No, I and, no doubt. Yeah, and I do know, obviously, it's on a Nintendo Selects label, and so it's like 20 bucks if yeah, you can find it. Yeah. I know that the value has gone up a little bit because it's a little bit harder to find, but if you can, uh, yeah, definitely one of the best games in the Wii U library, so I've heard. Yeah. Also, um, just a bit of a side note, but I it's going to be really hard to go to uh, Pikmin 4 on the Switch because we know it's coming. Miyamoto announced it in like 2015 and said there's a new Pikmin game and it wasn't the 3DS one. So, Because one thing that was really cool about Pikmin 3 is that every time you had this like map on the gamepad. So I'd use the um, Weaver mode and Nunchuck to play the game, like pointing whatnot because I felt like it was better for aiming. But at every at any given time could look down and see like a big like overhead mini map of the entire world on the gamepad and you could see like your Pikmin moving, you could even like tap and like since you have three separate captains, you can set each captain to have a specific set of Pikmin and yeah. you can have them like go to places automatically while you're doing something else. So it's especially in the multiplayer and like the challenge missions, they're really fun because you have to think about okay I need to send this captain here to do this thing while I do this thing and while this guy does this thing. And it's really, really entertaining. But it's going to be hard to go back from, uh, go back to not having that screen on the Switch. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I would love to be able to play 
uh, Pikmin on the Switch, it just reminded me that a few months ago they put out that Hey Pikmin game, which was like the 2D side-scrolling sort of version of Pikmin, and it was apparently not good. <laughs> oh, so... it was basically the uh, Chibi Robo Zip um, Zip Flash, I think. Yeah. Of the Pikmin games. So. Yeah. Oh, Same yeah. So Chibi Robo sense. was great. Yeah, Arzest, I think it. I think it was. Yeah, that's. That's that's that was disappointing to hear about that. I mean, obviously, we already have two of the three entries were already on game on systems that didn't have a screen. But yeah, obviously, the convenience of being able to control your Pikmin so easily would be pretty nice. But I imagine they'll just have to improve sort of the uh, the user interface to make it more uh, easy like that, uh, as easy as it was in Pikmin three in that sense. Yeah, granted, the game did pause when you're scrolling through the map using the. Uh... Wii U gamepad and when you were actually setting the pathing and whatnot. Yeah. But while you're scrolling on the bottom like gamepad, you could actually see the um, actual camera angle of that area on the upper, the actual screen. So it's going to, no matter what, they're going to lose something and that's a shame. Yeah. Uh, Maybe if they went like a split screen strategic view while, while it's paused or something like that, but that's, you know, that's maybe not the easiest. Yeah. Well, the other game I played, surprisingly, is not a Nintendo game. And in that sense, I mean, I was actually playing the PC version of Billy Hatcher and the Giant Egg. Didn't we talk about this last week? I could have sworn. We mentioned no. it at some point. No. Oh, okay. Maybe it's some of the conversation. That I do I, remember I mentioned, Billy Hatcher. I actually had mentioned last week that Guruman was reminding me of Billy Hatcher a there, little bit. There, that's what it was, and yeah. when I said that, I was like, you know what? Don't I have the PC version installed? And I did, so I, I started playing. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot that version exists. Yeah, so did I. Like, first time I figured out about... Well, anyways, if, for people who didn't know, Sega of Europe has basically been a PC studio, well, PC branch for however long Sega's existed, or at least for, like, the last two decades or something like that. And a lot of the old, like, console games, like Sonic Heroes, Sonic Riders, Billy Hatcher, that were on consoles that um, you thought about them like on GameCube, PS2, Xbox, obviously Billy Hatcher was basically GameCube exclusive for a while, but uh, Sega of Europe actually ported a lot of those games to PC. That's Not great. great ports, but um, Billy Hatcher was one of them. Not a great port. The only reason <laughs> I'm playing it, I, I have the GameCube version. I could probably uh, emulate it much better than the PC version runs. Um, to put in perspective, uh, really? the game has... Um, basically three um three separate graphics options resolution so it can go to hd which is nice um frame rate you can set the 30 fps lock or 60 fps lock you want to set the 30 fps because 60 fps is really buggy and you can tell that the way that they um coded the 60 fps in the pc version i'm just assuming that the uh, gamecube version was 30 fps because some of the bugs i'm seeing in the 60 fps mode on PC really makes it seem like it had to have been a 30 FPS game at first. Um, and then the other option was clipping, which I don't even know what the hell that's supposed to mean. It just says clipping high, low, and there's like a slider for it. <laughs> really weird. Um, the game does not run well on PCs. Like, I feel like if I put my old Radeon HD 7850 in like my dad's like Pentium 4 machine, it would probably run perfectly because the uh, minimum specs is like half a gigabyte of RAM and a 2 gigahertz Pentium 4 um, processor. So. so what you're saying is that, obviously, it's not really optimized for modern machines yet. Yeah, it's, same, yet. it's, it's kind of a similar issue that I have had that I had with the original Witcher. Sure, yeah, where, that was easy, like, yeah. Like, um, there were some scenes 
where it didn't actually run that well, and it's a single-core issue, because even though modern processors overall are stronger, like, it's only recently, like, with the most recent, like, i5s, i7s, where single-core performance has started to catch up to where we were at with the Pentium 4 at the end of its life. So, boy, I actually had to overclock my uh, processor a little bit just so the game would not have slowdowns at 30 FPS, which is, considering how old the game is and how it ran on a GameCube, I I probably should have just emulated it, but... uh. Wasn't kind of this is kind of unrelated, but like I remember once playing uh, King's Quest Seven. Yes, King's Quest Six is the one everyone likes, but Seven was the first one I played. Uh, So I kind of have like a nostalgic feeling for it. So I remember a couple years ago I went to play it again. You know, like however long after its release, and I remember there's this there's this part in the game where you have to like you're on a time limit and you have to go from like one end of the map to the other or else like i think it's like literally like a dynamite explodes or something Oh, I know. and what happens is that uh like on a modern processor computer or whatever your time limit like runs at like i don't know super speed so you have no time (laughs) to go from there was a there was a speedrun marathon and they actually talked about that problem happening and they had to be like faster than even fast uh, speed. Well, how, how I remember I remember how I got past it. It's it's like because King's Quest games they give you that chance to retry or at least yeah. the newer ones do. You know, um, and like every time you retry, you retry from where it exploded. So I remember you like walk like four feet, it explodes. You click retry. You walk another four <laughs> feet, explodes. You click retry. Yeah. So you just get a bunch of game overs, and you slowly make your way to where you're supposed to go. Sorry, you're you're just talking about like old PC games on modern PCs, and reminded me of that. Yeah, and, and didn't Billy Hatcher run at sixty frames? I knew a lot of GameCube games did. Well, I maybe it did but the problem i was having with 60 fps is that most of the time it would run fine 60 fps but then there would be like random cases where suddenly the game speed would double oh I don't so really... that... <laughs> oh my god that sounds frightening just dealing with that especially with the how that game is meant to be yeah, the platforming yeah Boy. so so once it, i figured at that point you know what i'm gonna switch it to 30 fps see if i don't get that and i didn't so i'm just assuming that it was originally 30 FPS, and then when they tried to code it for 60 FPS on PC, they didn't do that good of a job. Yeah, you need like a lock, like a frame lock. Open up the console and do something. Oh, like yeah, that. I was getting really, really annoyed because I was in the um, second-to-last um, area. Like, It's a very short game. Like, There's yeah. a bit of padding at the end where it's like, hey, you need to get 25 courageous emblems or whatever, whatever they're called, and if you're just going through the game, you'll have like 10 at that point. It's like padding yeah that's that's i remember that game being very short like the demo they put out felt like it was a significant portion of the game when i finally got to the main version i was like wow this is already i'm almost done with this this isn't yeah to put in perspective i had like finished the first world and had touched nothing else on the pc version and then i just picked it up again played for like maybe two hours and i was at the last world i just needed to grind a little bit for those extra emblems but i wasn't even that far from get, doing that and that was with the uh, frame rate issues i was having yeah i mean to uh, be fair like platformers especially around there and even in the super nintendo era they're pretty short uh in the grand scheme because i obviously like even sonic adventure was pretty short so i believe that for sure yeah um i do think it's a good game again hasn't aged that well but that's most 3d platformers from around that time i feel like um very short doesn't look as good as I remember it, but then again, there was never even a look or even on the GameCube. Like, it could have run the PS2, no problem. So I don't know why it was GameCube exclusive. Uh, 
whatever. Just imagine that was supposed to be like the next big property. It <laughs> didn't really work out that way. I do remember uh, the commercials for that too. A lot of like chicken jokes and stuff like that. Go figure. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that's been your that's been your week, huh? That's been your week. Just a uh, bunch of. Uh, I did start Horizon Zero Dawn as well, but I, yeah, only played like half an hour maybe. Got through the tutorial. Well, you're going to be the next person to be able to beat that game. I think that's going to be the most completed game of the RPG side staff because I know Here's Kyle's Tom, playing it. Uh, Natalie, of course, covered it. So everyone, I think, at this well, at some point will be able to play it, at least in some portion. So um, yeah. exciting stuff. So Adam, uh, speaking of games that people are playing, uh, you've been playing some more Nier Automata. Now, we've talked a lot about this game, but you want yeah. to share some thoughts about it? Yeah, so just like uh, James, like just trying to do my, some of my backlog and yeah. considering we have Game of the Year stuff coming up, I figured I should probably play this. And like you said, I know lots of people have talked a lot about Nier Automata, including on this podcast, so I don't want to, you know, hammer all the points again. Sure. So I finished it last week, and I enjoyed it a lot. And I just wanted to say a couple of things about how it it surprised me. So yeah. I should mention to start that I wasn't a big fan of the original, and I've said that before as well. I felt like it was a good game, at least in terms of like the story I was trying to tell, but I, I always felt it was almost a little... It was uh, The word I used on Twitter once was saccharine, and I don't mean like too sweet, because it's not a sweet game, but only almost over-sentimental, a little bit melodramatic. I felt like it was a bit in-your-face, and I just kind of felt it was a little bit too blunt for me to take it really seriously it was almost like the game was just shouting at me feel sad now that's your guitar (laughs) yeah and sometimes so when going so i was a little bit hesitant to start near automata because i just you know i didn't have a great experience with the first game um but i liked it a lot more in most every way it's not it's, it's much more lean than i expected it's much less talky there actually aren't that many like cutscenes, really. No. In fact, a lot of the dialogue in the game is given to you, like while you are playing, like through like a little like intercom thing, um, or you know while you're exploring the map, your characters talking to each other. There are of course cutscenes, but it just the fact that it it's a lot more like I said, it's a lot more lean than I expected. That was really a good thing. I kind of felt like the first game was a little bit overboard um, on that front, and. I felt like it wasn't as uh, blunt as the first game was either. I felt like the points it got across, because there wasn't as many cutscenes and things like that, I felt like they were more efficient in a way. and more. It was like it allowed me, the player, to really like stew on them myself yes. rather than just hammering it over me, feel sad, feel sad, feel sad. Like it, it, it felt like it – I almost felt like it almost gave – it almost – it wasn't treating me like an idiot. Like it would – it would introduce these concepts and these characters and these motivations. And then it's like slowly over time, it starts to real, you start to realize like what the, what, what the game is going for. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, so even, like misconceptions and things like that from like nine S like you can find like some of the dialogue he, he would have with a two B. You would just realize like he really doesn't know. He doesn't get it, uh, but he yeah. actually does over have, time. Have you beaten the game? I know you started it. I've played about, uh, six or seven hours, maybe a little bit more than that. But so I don't have it, a full grasp, but I don't know exactly what you mean by letting it set in with, uh, instead of like even not even like having dialogue in those places where you think there would be. They just like kind of the sound of silence is enough for that stuff. And so I have a, two more things I want to say. I know yeah. before the game came out, obviously there's a lot of uh, people love the design of 2B. And so like people like 
basically adopted her as their favorite character even before they'd even played the game, obviously, which people do. <laughs> but then, like, after the game came out, I realized there was a lot more fan art and stuff and discussion. I didn't I didn't want to spoil myself. So I didn't, like, you know, dive into it. But I saw there was a lot of 9S and 2B. Like, both the characters seemed like to get a lot of love. And, like, after playing the game, I, I understand why now because you kind of need both of them to make it work. And it's totally. it's... Totally. And it it does some really cool things there, and also I after I beat the game I was just doing a little bit of reading on it, and I saw once that Yoko Taro this is just from the Wikipedia article mentioned that the, he had like two different philosophies when creating the first near game and the second. He said the first near game in terms of its emotional content quote he went for a wet kind of vibe, and now if I were to uh, well, let me continue. For the second game, for Nier Automata, he went for a more dry kind of vibe. And if I were just to read that before I played the game, I would be like, this is just nonsense. He doesn't actually mean anything here. What does this mean? It's nothing. Yeah, yeah like wet, dry. What the fuck does that mean? But like after <laughs> playing the games, like I, that's tangible. Like I understand what they're kind of getting at now. And I think that kind of relates to how to my impression of it how the first game i felt was a little bit over sentimental but the second game i didn't really have that feeling mm. so i think like after playing the game after kind of reading that comment of his i'm like i i felt that and i, I just maybe the type of person i am or what i'm looking for in a game or whatever that dry vibe is really what got to me um so yeah i actually want to ask you a question then because obviously with it being over sentimental it doesn't sound like you had much of an emotional connection to the original near which i totally get uh there's definitely points uh it wasn't until like another ending that i finally got locked into it but um for near automata did would you say that the under not i wouldn't say under delivery uh the draw like pulling back on that stuff did that hit you harder i want to say it was more effective in a way that like less is more sure. like it talked less, but it said more. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that like you know the game has no story or whatever because that's like not true at all. No. Just the way that it's delivered, yeah. and like it's less is more. Now, I, I really like the game. I don't think it was like life changing for me. That some people seem like they really had a really mm. really deep connection to this game. To probably not. Yeah, probably not that far. Um, but I think it's really it's it's really nifty how they tell the story. The part that actually hit me the hardest, though, and I, I admit I cried, was a... First of all, James, have you played this? Yes, I okay. imported the Japanese version and beat it before Breath of the Wild came out. So, Congrats. I, um, so th- the part that actually hit me most was... Don't spoil it, by the way. <laughs> no, <laughs> Just... I, I'm, not going, I'm not going to spoil it. But there's I just a, want to say that for the audience, I think too. I know which... There's a backstory. It's it's like actually slightly disconnected from the the story of 2B and 9S and A2. There's a little backstory like prose piece. Um, it it kind of reminded me of the Lost Odyssey, Thousand Years of Dreams. Oh, Nier does that a couple times wow. with um, other characters kind of right before the end of the game. Um, and it like it, that was actually a part that like if I hadn't played, well... How do I put this without spoiling it? Let me just say that there's a backstory piece. It's not a cutscene. It doesn't even involve like the main three characters, but it really kind of hit me. Um, and like that was the part that actually like in terms of like a personal connection was the closest for me. So. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. I feel like that's one of the few examples where 
you get a lot out of Nirakamda, even if you hadn't played the first game, I feel like. But there's a lot of things there for people that have played the original Nier, especially in that final act where you'll see things and you'll feel yeah. things. And it's like you get a lot of mileage from that. I, I was actually going to say that, but I decided not to. So, yes, this thing I'm talking about, because it might be a minor spoiler, is there is a slight connection to the original Nier. So it's, you know, in that sense... I'm glad I had played them. Don't get me wrong. I didn't hate the original Nier. I just felt like it didn't connect with me in all the right ways. But then like those moments like that were like that amplified those moments. Yeah. So I don't think anyone can explain their love for Nier. Like I love the first one a lot, but obviously there were qualms about it. Clearly uh, anyone who, who would be like blind to that stuff uh, isn't a real fan. In my opinion, it's, it's just that you understand how great the story is, how great the music is, but you understand, of course, the gameplay could have been a lot better. And that there are moments where it really, as you said, hits you over the head with that. Like, I haven't come into this moment quite yet with Nier Automata, but I'm waiting for that moment that I had when, you might remember, Adam, I don't know if you played it either, James, the original Nier, but the moment of the old man and his dog. Like, yeah, when I, I remember. When you, yeah, yeah it's, the, it's the quest that was early on about, uh, I'm not going to spoil this, the quest itself in case people want to play it, but like, that quest, when you connect the, the dots together, you just realize, like, wow, that hit me really hard because that, that's something so powerful is sort of so subtle. And that's kind of what started my uh, real appreciation for that game uh, and, the, and what eventually turned into the series, of course. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to experience that moment. I can definitely tell, even early on, um, there's definitely moments where you're like, oh, this this can turn into something much bigger, and I'm I'm waiting for that moment, a moment for things to turn. So, uh, just to be clear, Adam, you said you completed. Did you like get all the endings or anything? Yeah. Like okay. Okay. I even did like the. I even that's, did like the collectibles a, and the DLC. That and all one that. thing that he was talking about. Oh, ending. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. The one thing he was talking about with the uh, kind of text thing. That's something that happens in the uh, final. Like, there's basically three routes in the game: route A, route B, and then route C slash D. Then yeah. once you do both of those, you get ending E, which yeah. a little complicated. But basically, you play the game three times, and then you just replay the ending for the third route to. Which, get is, the... which is pretty similar to the first game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not it's like it's good... not like. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say like, I don't know if this is a spoiler, you know, but like. Route C slash D is kind of like the same route. You just make a choice that's important, and that's kind of like the first game where there's just like a big choice that you make that, you know, one choice is ending C and one choice is D. Um, yeah. But, that yeah, that scene I was talking about is like it's right before like – it's like right before the final, final dungeon basically. Yeah. People played <laughs> well, it obviously. That's at the very, very ending actually, but yeah. No, the, the one I'm talking about is right before the final, final dungeon, which I guess you could argue is not really a dungeon, but <laughs> – so. yeah. I mean, obviously, people who played it will should know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, but to, to be clear, it's you're not like technically playing through the whole game again just to get an ending. It's they change things up. I won't I won't say anything further than that. Yeah, that's it's, how it works. it's hard to explain. Yeah, um, yeah. that's why. But if you only played through and got the first ending, you haven't played near the first near ending. A is basically like a mid-game cutscene. Yeah, they call it ending A, but it, and you'll get a credits. But it's basically just like. It's it's basically a, a mid game climax in any other game, you know. It's just yeah. It's that just it's just structured a little bit differently. It's when you see the credits, then you really yeah. go to write a review. And you're like, really realize that person probably didn't play enough of that. So yeah, uh, I'm fascinated to continue playing that game myself. But Adam, it's it's good to hear that you had uh, good feelings about that too. It's going to be interesting to see what the discussion will now, be in a few weeks. 
on our game of the year discussion, yeah, uh, I think we've already decided it's going to be spoiler free. Like, yes. I mean, I mean, all basically a spoiler chat. Like, it's anything will come free, up. Spoiler free, but it's going to be spoilers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So people so, are listening to that podcast. Uh, I'll make sure so that that includes this game. You know, Pearl, that Persona Zeta probably, Blade, which means whatever. I need to beat it as quickly as I can once it comes out. Yeah, that's, that's very yeah. true. It seems like every year there's a game that comes out right near the end of the year that we kind of need to force our way through. Last year it was Final Fantasy 15. It came out like the end of November, so not quite as bad as Xenoblade. I actually didn't finish it, but um, yeah, you know, Xenoblade. At least it's early December and not like mid-December. Yeah, but it's a hundred plus hour RPG. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the big thing about the fact that when you go into spoilers, that's why I get bothered by spoilers a lot because it's like. I had to play a whole 100-hour game in order to experience this one thing, and then I just read somebody just straight up, like, ruining that for somebody else. Uh, <laughs> but that podcast, I mean, I'll have to make a note. We'll definitely have, like, show notes for people who want to skip that stuff, but we're going yeah. with a different format this year, so we might just it might just be completely filled up, but, uh, yeah. you know, we'll probably just have the, you know, the format where, um, you know, you don't have to spoil unless you really have to discuss something. <laughs> Otherwise yeah. it's just going to be kind of, on that a, note, a on that point. note, Zach, do me a favor. Don't go into spoilers for Utawara, um, Uta two and three. Cause I need to still play those. And actually, <laughs> I know well, you're the only one I'm going to go into them because it's, <laughs> uh, it'd be very hard for me to, to argue my point if I don't get into that. Cause it was the strongest point, but, um, wow. I'll just have to mute you while we're while you're going over it. <laughs> you go ahead if you want to. It's going to be difficult when you're not listening to everyone else talking. Uh, but speaking of story, I played Destiny 2, and I beat the campaign this past weekend. I was actually fortunate enough to get it uh, on a price mistake. Uh, Toys R Us accidentally was stacking coupons when they didn't mean to, so I got it for 20 bucks. So I was like, okay, cool. This is my excuse to finally play Destiny problem was uh where adam was talking about of course going into the sequel understanding some of the references i had not played destiny 1 at all so throughout the entirety of destiny 2 and james can of course speak to this because he reviewed it for us but um i did not understand i did not know any of the characters of course from the first game and so there's a lot of like references don't worry you really don't miss much (laughs) no i mean that's why i want to i'm going to mention is that uh, apparently, even if I did have played the first one, there's so much reliance on looking up outside information on the website and other places for lore that I would still have been somewhat lost, I think, if I had not done that. It's kind of like Final Fantasy thirteen in that sense. Like There's still like an encyclopedia you have to really focus in on, and I did not have the patience for that. Um, so... I did not get in, uh, most of the story stuff. I was actually starting to skip a lot of that stuff, and I hardly ever do that in a game because I just want to sort of get involved with that. But uh, because I didn't know any of the characters or the real motivations, except for maybe a few of them, and but that's only because they were sort of grown. Like Gaul was, uh, Gaul was the was is the main antagonist. Um, he was the only person I sort of kind of got the motivation, but I didn't understand, of course, about like, oh, the light and the traveler and the the speaker and the, all this stuff. It was like, okay, I, I believe you. But coming as a fan of Halo, um, big fan of Halo, I was actually way more in love with the gameplay itself because the shooting is fantastic. Uh, and it was fun picking up all the different loot. And even if people have sort of uh, uh, ambivalence towards loot crates, I still... Um, kind of have a, a fondness for it, only for the cosmetic side, obviously. If When they start to get into sort of the pay-to-win style, 
I despise that like anybody, but if it's just cosmetic, I have no real problem with it. It's actually kind of exciting to find uh, this really rare weapon randomly. I think there's some interest in that, but maybe that's just the gambler in me. Uh, in order to get, like, I'm winning at something. I, I finally got something that not many people have or very few do. And um, for the most part, though, Destiny 2's campaign is pretty short. It's like your typical Halo, it'd probably get like in maybe six to eight hours, something like that. Um, but I did enjoy the fact that when you're running around, there's other people that you might come across. And of course, you do public events. Um, but there were moments when I was just hanging back for a moment during the ones where it wasn't so much a public event, but it was more like, here's this brief moment, kind of like Journey, you know, where the brief moment where you might find other people that are in part of this story event. And so I would just sometimes hang back and wait for that person, maybe help them out uh, for a bit to just get them to advance forward like I was uh, until the point when there was like that sort of uh, un- uh, invisible wall of sorts where it's transitioned into the actual story itself and you could not bring that person along with you. Um, I did not play with any friends, of course. I just wanted to kind of get through it. I don't know if I'll go back to it. Um, I got my fill, but at the same time, it's a very well-made game. And I think that, you know, for what it's worth, I had a lot of fun with it. James, it seems like you had an enjoyment out of it too, though. I feel like, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it when I first played through it for review and for a few, like, like a week afterwards. But I do feel like a lot of people have run into the same issue that I have where mm. it just it doesn't have as much longevity as people have been expecting. And it no. seems like the first expansion is going to be a bit of a disappointment. So it's going to be interesting to see how the game um, manages to stay in the public consciousness. Yeah, that's yeah. that's next month, right? The first um, big DLC for that game? Yes, in just under two weeks, something like that. Let me yeah. check. Yeah, just under, well, yeah, just under a week and a half, actually. Yeah, that's kind of bizarre. I mean, at the same time, they did have that reveal of Paris Games Week for it. I think that was like the first real uh, footage of it, uh, even if it was more like a teaser. But, you know, I think they even talked about like sparrows and all this crap that I had no interest in. So I, uh, which people don't know, sparrows are the little uh, vehicles, the riding flying car things, whatever you call them, the bikes. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'll go back to it. I had no real inclination to get the expansion passed or anything like that. But I, I, for what it's worth, like I said, as far as like a Halo fan, talking to, speaking as a Halo fan, I found enjoyment from it, uh, but maybe I'll go back and play the first Destiny just to kind of get a taste of that, just to s- see what the story is like, because I own the uh, Taken King version, and so might as well maybe fill in some of the blanks just for my own self-satisfaction, but not a big deal. But that's it. Uh, I also started Everybody's Golf, and I got a hole-in-one today, so I'm pretty excited about that, and I might soon get back to New Automata, so that's kind of been my schedule. Even if I want to get to the backlog, it's kind of hard when you got some good games <laughs> to play from recent sales so let's get into the news though because like i said we've got something important to talk about so not we were talking about this before the podcast me and adam but like not even a day after our podcast uh because we did not really adjust for the um the japan time maybe we could have held off on our podcast if we would have known better but they announced valkyrie chronicles 4 uh, which is a real surprise because I think everyone was sort of on the uh, inclination that it was going to be yet another mobile or an online game. There was like a rumor going around. Actually, there was like a report, I think, in Famitsu where Sega was teaming up with uh, a Chinese developer or publisher to make an online version of the game. But 
clearly that's not what happened. It's they announced a proper sequel to Valkyrie Chronicles, and it's going to be out uh, for PS4, Xbox One, uh, sometime in spring in Japan, later for the Switch. And when it sounds um, like no Xbox on... One, no Xbox One version in Japan. Oh, that's right, right. Yeah, just PS4, uh, and then sometime later for Switch, which it sounds like based on rumor, this isn't confirmed, of course, but like it sounds like uh, there'll be the rest of the world to get the localization. Uh, around the time the Switch version is ready, so we'll get yeah, the base, Xbox One. And yeah, basically, they in Japan PS4 version is dated on March 21st, I think. Um, is that what you said? I and think then it's a screen ver- right now. I didn't know if it was. No, they gave it a date. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's look. Um, and then the Switch version comes later. And basically, one of the localization guys at Sega basically said the Western release is going to be all at once. It may not coincide with the Japanese Switch release. It may. Who knows? Um, but yeah, oh, so I should the, also the... mention, I'm sorry. I just want to say that the, uh, someone from Atlas on Twitter did say that, uh, they're working on a PC version. They just said that oh. you, we'll have to wait for it. So, yeah, I, I know they kind of implied obviously yeah, that, you know, with the PC. first game coming to PC, um, Super people were hoping for that <laughs> yeah. and then they, they weren't really, they didn't really shy away from basically saying they were working on it, so I wasn't sure like how close they came to confirming it. Yeah, it must have just been they still have need to sign some contracts, whatever, because, yeah, it's a whole other platform that's likely not going to be out in Japan, but we'll see. Maybe, yeah. maybe dual audio, I guess, you know, but whatever. Uh, but let's run down the rest of the information about this. Um, so probably one of the more, I don't know if you would call this controversial, uh, but uh, Katsura Mikami, who is the producer of Valkyrie Revolution, he's returning as the producer uh, and but he did sort of imply that you know he wanted to make a real proper uh, the next step in in the series the evolution of the series, which is right I guess. And then, it's, sorry, you're gonna. See, I was gonna comments. say Valkyrie Revolution. I have not played it, but you know it doesn't seem to be what people wanted. It no. seems like it seems like they were really trying to be something different and experimental there. And you know sometimes that just doesn't work. Um, no. that's, what, that's that's what you risk if you're trying to be different. I guess. I mean, heck, the first Valkyria Chronicles was pretty different from anything yeah. else that released at the time. So it sounds like this one is more going to be like, probably not as experimental. I'm sure they'll tweak a couple things, but like really try to be in the vein of the the actual Valkyria Chronicles series. So yeah, that's that definitely seems to be the case. But yeah, you know, it's just like when um when you talk about uh, I think that um I forget who was the Castlevania producer Koji Igarashi. He mentioned this about when uh. Mighty Number no. Nine was being made. He was just like, you know, uh, obviously when Mikami had this idea, it's clearly something that they think that's going to be successful. You don't realize until later that's just not going to work out, and that's kind of what Valkyrie Revolution was meant to be. And all this confusion about, you know, whether it was the actual sequel or whether this was just, you know, uh, uh, a spinoff, a, yeah, yeah a spinoff or a forked path where one was going to go. Like two series were sort of growing. Seems like Valkyrie Revolution kind of died in the water though, because it sold really badly in Japan and America. Uh, I think we talked about that last week. But um, and other details about this, though, uh, Hitoshi Sakamoto is returning as the composer, thank God, uh, and Raita, uh, the artist, also returning. You can see some of his designs, and they're amazing. Uh, some of the other details that we got from there also is that it's going to be the biggest maps yet in the series, or they're just saying like the largest scale, so who knows what that Makes might sense. Maybe yeah. most like dynamic maps and things like that, destructible, who knows. Uh, and also, we got some of the ideas about the um, the main characters uh, that I had up here for a moment. I wanted to try to get into this a little bit here. Hold on. I got it. 
And we have four characters so far. Yeah, we got four different characters here. Here we go. All right, we got Claude Wallace, who is voiced by Ryosuke Kanemoto, uh, which people who don't know, uh, he's been in a few different things. Uh, I think he's in like Seven Deadly Sins as well. He played the voice of Simon. I don't know if anyone knows. <laughs> uh, and uh, he's also Bernard in Valkyrie Revolution. <laughs> so uh, clearly he's just kind of a, a hangover. Um, we got Claude Wallace, of course, is the commander of Squad E of Endenburg Army's 101st Division, 1st Battle Brigade, 32nd Armor Ranger Battalion. <laughs> so it's a, uh, he's a tank commander, so he's going to be the one uh, commanding, uh, driving the tank, just like in the other in the other games. Um, actually, correct me if I'm wrong, in 3, um, uh, Kurt Irving was just walking around as a, as a shock trooper, basically, uh, starting off. Uh, the first one, of course... Uh, I'm blanking on his name. Who's the main Welkin? character? Uh, yeah, uh, Welkin. He was the t- uh, tank commander, pretty much. Yeah, with I Asara. mean, like, I haven't played three. Um, Welkin in the, in the first game, you you have like a couple levels with him at the very beginning where he's a scout, but ah, basically right. he spends he spends ninety five percent of the game as a tank. Ah, <laughs> uh, of course. So, okay. Yeah. Well, what about the second one? Was the person the second game? I don't even remember that idiot's first name. Or that idiot's name. <laughs> he was not a good uh, character. I remember that. No, none, none of those characters were. I think in that game, man, I don't remember if you could, you could just change them to what you want it, whatever you wanted. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah. Well, moving to the other characters, we got Riley Miller, who's uh, voiced by Nao Toyama. Uh, I've got all this up, but my computer's being kind of slow. Uh, yeah. So Nao Toyama, who's not been in a whole lot of stuff. Uh, she was uh, Chiho in Devil's a Part-Timer. I'm looking at like anime mostly. It's it's like uh, a lot of these characters are sort of holdovers from uh, different anime shows. Uh, she's also Yukiho in Love Life, I guess. <laughs> That's uh, which is actually a pretty good character. Um, she is sort of your um, typical uh, second in command. Uh, she's cheerful, positive, and unafraid of failures as she forces herself to keep on doing things. But she's a grenadier, which is a new class in this game. All the other classes make a return, shock troopers, scouts, lancers, uh, so forth. Uh, so grenadier is, yeah, they just they have like a grenade gun, basically, that can shoot up in the sky in an arc and uh, blow up people that are hiding behind, you know, different layers of uh, cover, uh, sandbags, things like that. Um, I don't know if maybe that'll be effective when you're trying to shoot a tank and you want to take out the um, the Ragnite uh, radiator behind it. I think that'd be super useful. Uh, but they did mention you can't shoot in front of you. So I don't know. I guess that means like perpetually you're throwing in an arc. So like you can't. Well, Go ahead. I'd... First of all, in the first Valkyrie Chronicles, like the upgraded classes, the scout had like a sort of you know, grenade launcher that they got when they upgraded, which basically you get like an arc where that you shoot it, you shoot the grenade up in the air and it gives you, you know, like it tells you where it's going to land, you know, like any move in that game. Um, so I don't know if this is going to be like a replacement for that upgraded scout class. You know, we don't really have all those details yet. If they're going to, how they're going to do class upgrades or whatever. Um, I know Valkyria Chronicles two added a, a couple a number of classes i don't remember all of them it's been a while since i played it but i do remember uh, a class called the fencer which is ridiculous like they would literally like walk across the map and nothing can touch them and you know they can't do any damage they walk up to you know any boss and like swipe them and kill them in one hit so <laughs> that he's uh the the fencer makes a return of valkyrie chronicles 3 and you yeah. mostly just use them to uh attack supply crates and also just obviously uh, uh 
uh, a shield for people to hide behind because every time they go down, they just like this shield sort of uh, protracts out and just protects them. Like it's kind of cool in a way, but you can just hide it in a wall, I guess. But it's it's not quick as quick yeah. aside. Did Valkyria Chronicles three have like the class marks you had to get? Class marks. Okay, Valkyria Chronicles two. One of its most tedious systems was that. And I'm not going to get the details right because it's been a while since I played it. But I remember that there was these class marks you had to get from random skirmishes and things. Mm-hmm. And the drop rate on them was random. No. So it was <laughs> it was like if you wanted to get a certain class, you had to wait until you did a mission and it was like one of your drops, so to speak. And I remember that was tedious as hell, like just waiting to try to get the right class marks that you could use. Like I remember when the game came out, the fencer that I mentioned, like that was the one you hope to get first. Like I oh. want to get fencers so I could use them. I'm assuming that got enough flack that they changed that in, in the third game. You'd be right. Um, I don't think that that does not exist. <laughs> yeah. I've got, for the record, I've now played the second one. I have, of course, beaten the third one twice. Uh, and so, yeah, they don't have that at all. So uh, you're in luck. And so that means you should, an extra reason for you to play that game. Now remind me, Valkyrie Chronicles 3... You don't level up classes as a whole. You level up units individually. Uh, yeah, pretty much. It's that they yeah. level up. They so you go from like you know rookie to veteran class and all that. And well, I mean, like yeah, the first Valkyria Chronicles, of course, you leveled up all your scouts all at once, all your shock troopers all at once. So I'm wondering right. how they'll uh, go. I'm wondering if, if what they'll do. You know? Yeah, in the third one, it was it was basically individuals. Like, all, yeah. you're improving stats. Kind, of, it's it's like you know you need to go to base camp and you want to go to that yeah. guy who like you level up stuff. But that's just it's the same as before. You know, you level up your accuracy and your health and your yeah. uh, defense. Um, that, that was something they changed in two, where you level yes. up units individually. And I know that carried over to three, and who knows what they'll do for four. Yeah, three had that really cool like sort of um, skill tree style. So if you level up just right, you can like switch different classes. I think all the yeah had this but two, like you can well two had that yeah one was just as more simple one like once you reach level 10 you could get to the upgraded class yeah so. two was i love three system just because you could like double the amount of like uh uh ap or action points so like you can just run from miles as a scout <laughs> if you're careful or a shock trooper if you wanted to so it was very useful and so i'm, I'm yeah i'm interested to see if if this is supposed to be quote-unquote an evolution of the series i imagine they'll take that system and maybe add yeah. some stuff on top we don't know um, yet. No. Now, going back to the characters, I guess. <laughs> yes. Uh, we've also got Raz, who's voiced by Kazuya Nakai, which I know is Veronoa f- uh, from One Piece. Also happens to be the Japanese voice of Waka from Final Fantasy X. So people who want to get the idea that you've got Waka and Veronoa is the same voice actor, that's definitely the case. Um, he's the dark sin of the group. Uh, people who maybe seem like that group photo, he's the guy on the far left uh, who's squatting down. Uh, he does not have a surname as he comes from the persecuted darks race. i like how they put that in there it's just raz <laughs> and i should mention that this game takes place i don't remember exactly like it's 1935 in the game calendar and it's this is around the time of the first game yes um so before, like this isn't right? uh, yeah that's that i don't know exactly like if it's a couple years before or during or whatever but it's basically around the same time so dark sins are still going to be like um discriminated against in the, at this time probably yeah it so. makes me wonder like um well the calamity Spoiler. happened uh, yeah the the darks and calamity well it's, it's you know they it doesn't happen in any of the games so it's just talked about but like didn't that happen like well before then that was like 100 years yeah, like yeah. i'm not sure i'm trying to remember i don't remember the details but this basically the darksons are discriminated against you you learn kind of why in the first game um 
and like then... why that why that history is there. So this, I just wanted to say like he's a dark sin, but this isn't like a sequel. It's more like a, another story um, at that same time. And I think wasn't Valkyrie Chronicles three also that it was very heavily about that. So I'm wondering yeah. if they'll still go back to that, which. I don't want to call it like we turn to the well, but it's kind of like they're really relying heavily on that a whole uh, angle of, of them being prosecuted. It's kind of like you know, um, they're, they're kind of like, which is kind of weird to put it. They're kind of like the Jew, the Jewish people of of the of the World War in this yeah. case. They're the ones that were like you know rounded up, put inside internment camps, and 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 as I said, persecuted and killed and done all these horrible things to them because they're blamed for all of life's troubles. So it's, yeah, it's like the Polish people, the Jewish. Okay, um, I just looked it up on on just the Wikipedia page, but the first Valkyrie Chronicles also says in 1935, so it looks Uh, like it's literally the same year. (laughs) How many parallel stories can they do? Because three has them doing parallel and you meet people from two and all that stuff. So yet again. Um, oh, and the last character we've got is Kai Schuler, which is the character that had the weird, like, kind of cat ears kind of thing, you know, like the the hat that went spiky. She's a sniper. She's voiced by Maya Sakamoto, which everyone should know who she is because she's. I don't for... really watch anime, but even I recognize that JP, that yes. Japanese voice actress. <laughs> she's been so. around since like yeah, the early '90s. Been a lot of different anime and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of done a lot of uh uh. Uh, songs and stuff like that a lot for uh, like I think you know she was Motoko Kusanagi in the Ghost in the Shell Rise uh, she's been in um, just a ton of stuff I, it's, I'm, I'm running down this and I'm trying to figure out like what can specifically she was the voice of Lightning of course uh, the Japanese voice obviously of Lightning um, but she's just been around for a long time and so it's great to see like They've got someone of her caliber. And she was also the voice of Eris from the, when she was voiced in Kingdom Hearts. So I, I didn't realize that was the, actually the case. That's kind of cool. All right. And uh, Joan d'Arc, um, one of the best underrated games that people should play more of. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. They seem to have some really strong voice actors in this group. So uh, that's very helpful. That doesn't mean it's going to save the game necessarily, but it's, it's nice. It's a nice bonus. Uh, but getting back into the other information that we've got here from the reveal they haven't really shared anything else uh some bits and pieces of course but we're supposed to get some more stuff pretty soon so some of the other things they shared were yeah. like based they're not they're probably going to be worldwide in some sense but in yes. japan there's a pre-order bonus where you get uh Edie from yes. the original valkyria chronicles um she's a popular character at least in japan um, and then there's also going to be a DLC where there's a little bit of a story thing. We don't know what it is that once you com- complete it, you get to use the characters from the first game in Valkyrie Chronicles 4. So Welkin, Alicia, Largo, Rosie, and Isara. So I don't know if they'll just kind of be like bonus member characters, like not actually like not actually like story, like they actually join your squad, but just kind of like bonus, you know characters yeah, just that like you can use fa- like <laughs> they need to bring back vice <laughs> yeah, vice and ike <laughs> please uh that would actually that's kind of that's pretty much what they are so um yeah i mean it's it's funny because like Edie is definitely the most popular character in japan and i think they had a poll that showed like marina for example the, the sniper from valkyrie chronicles one was the most popular in the west so i don't know if they're going to do anything with her in the west or just it's just you know this is going to be it but uh that's kind of interesting to see that and actually it makes me wonder if they're going to do anything with like uh any other bonus characters but also like their pro- what their approach is going to be for how they join your party because of course in the first one it was like kind of a 
randomized when they yeah. would join your party and the third one because i haven't played the second one like i said the third one it's story related so like they kind yeah. of get introduced as you complete a chapter or something like i don't that. i don't even remember how the second one does it it's been oh. too long i remember i i kind of liked the second one in terms of like the map design and you know the actual like combat and gameplay yes it was a psp game so yeah. it was you know you what the biggest change is that you end up like getting like these segmented maps and you kind of have to like distribute your units across maps and you kind of have to like jump from one map to the, to the next but i thought that was actually See? pretty fun See? it was just <laughs> yeah. i just thought i just thought all the character stuff and the, those class marks i mentioned before the, like those are the two biggest knocks against the second game um so but i should yeah. mention i mean if this i don't know if we've said this clearly but this is basically a worldwide announcement it's not going to be an, yes. a, a worldwide like simultaneous release but um, it sounds like apparently the uh, Switch version is going to be a worldwide si- um, simultaneous. So yeah, that's, that's we talked about this. We implied that because, it, it yeah. sounded like that might be the case. I don't know if they said that with like absolute certainty, but yeah, who knows? Um, so it's the whole uh, like, Dragon Quest Eleven thing. <laughs> like we don't know when it's going to come out. No, and they've even Switch. they've even said I know the Sega producer even said they've are they've already been doing the English dubbing for the game. Like yes. that's already underway. So. I have a feeling we're not going to have to wait too long after the Japanese release for this. I like, mean, it's it's clear, yeah. I mean, we talked about this last week because the website was also implied as well. But, like, the most recent news we've got is that the game is about 90% completed. And I imagine Atlas or Sega, you know, whoever is the people that they put, Sega put on this, uh, they're very, very likely working alongside the Japanese side. And so I imagine it's going to be um, even better. Who knows if they're going to do the whole, like... We're going to take feedback and make changes like we did with uh, Valkyrie Revolution. I hope they don't because that kind of is too many. Uh, I doubt it. Kitchen. I mean, yeah. Why, the, game, the game is going to release in like four months. So. Yeah. <laughs> really, please don't. Uh, but, you know, I'm very hopeful and, and we'll have to see about that. But the last bit of news that we've got is that they also announced a 10th anniversary edition, which sounds amazing. Soundtrack, you mean? Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I don't know. They haven't confirmed it for the West yet, but they said, of course, what's included will be the, um, of course, the game, uh, an illustration book with seventy-two B five size pages of illustrations, which are the very big pages, of course, uh, spanning the whole Valkyria Chronicle series from one to four. And the cover, newly drawn by Rada, makes me want to buy those like Valkyria Chronicles art books that they keep put that they put out a while back. They also have a soundtrack CD with select. So it's always a sampler of select background music from Valkyrie Chronicles 1 to 4 and then the DLC code to unlock joint uh, Battlefront with Squad 7 which is the one that adds uh, uh, Welkin uh, Alicia Largo, Rosa and Nasara. so I thought this was cool I still don't get the uh, I don't get the appeal of CDs anymore it's just not I don't have any urge like I've only got one in my truck uh, sorry I said truck but I meant my car because uh, not even, of course, BS4 doesn't have any sort of CD support. I don't have a CD player anymore, so it's kind of... Like I'll take this moment to say that um, before this podcast, I was listening to the CDs for my Neurotomba soundtrack. So. I still have the um, Artinelco Koga uh, soundtrack that came with the game itself when I got when I played it for review. It's been in my car all the time. <laughs> I'm not yeah, I think out. you mentioned this a few podcasts back. <laughs> yeah, because like there's no other CDs I own really, except for maybe a, a couple. I've, I have like the Disgaea Three uh, sampler I think that came with it, but that's that's kind of like it. I know we got some stuff at Anime yeah. Expo too. Yeah, I mean personally, I'm on like. The other end of the bell curve and the fact that I've got that uh, near Tomda ranged and unru- uh, unused uh, well, music CD uh, pre-ordered so yeah uh, personally I, I know it's not the best quality but I just 
have like playlists on YouTube where like I just pick the tracks I like and just play yeah, them on YouTube. That's kind of like <laughs> it. Or like you know, obviously the more they add to Spotify and you get the membership, you get the like the uncompressed versions of those songs. Like Falcom Sound, a library pretty much is pretty neat you actually think if they're ever speaking of sound quality like if they ever put this stuff on vinyl <laughs> you know go the extra mile for people who are really into these this music alex will buy it i mean the i some i know people that literally only buy vinyls just because of the artwork on the on the on the, on the sleeves uh which i'm totally there with i would have i was about to some buy some of the, the older uh symph- um east symphony uh sound um well albums got released on vinyl i would totally buy them on vinyl oh totally <laughs> speaking think- of music i just wanted to mention that like Sakamoto, like his tracks have a like they're not as melodic as a lot of other tracks, and like I sometimes feel like he's not at like the forefront of like thought when I'm thinking of like great composers. But like when I was like playing like Final Fantasy XII the remaster again, and then like I start I played a little bit of Valkyria Chronicles on PC because I I never played the PC version. I only played the PS3 version way back, and like man, some of this music is amazing. (laughs) It just it's just a little different. It's definitely great, and actually. Like there's so many great tracks that he's got. I mean, obviously you go back to the other other tracks that we've got here. Like I, for some reason though, I, I tend to like mix Sakamoto up with Sakuraba, <laughs> like Matoya Sakuraba. I, I get really? those two confused all the time. I know it's kind of <laughs> weird. Uh, maybe it's because like they they their games aren't that different that they compose for. I guess. But then again, Sakuraba I guess did Dark Souls, so that's kind of totally different. <laughs> so maybe it's the last name I get I get lost with. So, uh. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating to see that they finally announced Valkyria Chronicles Four. Took everyone by surprise, as I mentioned, and 2018 is getting better and better and better. And it's really exciting to see uh, them uh, taking this initiative and and doing something uh, that takes sort of like you know it takes kind of courage because you didn't really think Valkyria Chronicles is like one of those games that des- is deserving as much on, on this type of worldwide you know uh, support behind it. As well, well same the other game series. sold uh, over a million units on it Steam. It did, it so. did, but like you know, talk, we're talking about like there's all... no PC version now. It's even weirder. So well, we'll get it, but it's just not I don't think it's that weird. No, it's it's not. It's it's but at the same time, it's just that uh, you know when you think about it, like of all the Sega properties, Vakura Chronicles being the one that they put like this huge initiative behind with the countdown side and everything. It's because most of those countdown sites are usually regulated to mobile games. That's why like, Square Enix is known to disappoint a lot when it comes to those things. So I'm just saying it's it's great to see a game get its due. You know, the series is really deserving of that. And hopefully it leads to Valkyria Chronicles 2 and 3 remastered uh, soon enough. <laughs> so we'll find out. I'm sure it's, it's on the books for them. Because why wouldn't it be? Uh, but let's get into the other news. Cause we've got a few more topics that we like to discuss. Uh, kind of out of nowhere, the producer of Romancing Saga finally came out and said, and this is kind of what he promised would happen, Romancing Saga 2 is finally heading to the Vita uh, and, quote-unquote, other consoles in December. Now, he did say a while back, this was like maybe a year or two ago at this point, that um, when they announced Romancing Saga 3, they said that we would get 2 for the Vita and then also get 3 as well. So... Maybe we'll hear more about that later. But this is a great opportunity. Uh, shows the Vita is still somewhat alive. <laughs> My guess is it's going to be a, and it's out now, drop for PSX or oh, something I, like I, that. I bet, because it's going to be like one of those, like, I forget what was like, was it, Koei Tecmo did this for like an Atelier game, but like then when they kind of dropped it out of nowhere and everyone's like, oh, whoa, okay. <laughs> but at I, least think that was, getting... I think that was Atelier, or Atelier, Atelier, Atelier uh, Aisha Plus for Vita. 
No, I think I think it was like Tutorial or Maruru also. No, I want to say it was Aisha Plus, but that I, I might too. be wrong. No, this was, this, Anyways, happened, this happened a couple um, times. They're bad about that. But yeah, they, yeah, they the fact know. that they announced Romance Saga 2 uh, for that. And other consoles uh, leads me to the believe other, that we'll another get... Another consoles bit um, gives me some hope that we might maybe get an announcement for a uh, Scarlet Grace localization at PSX or something. Hopefully. Uh, I don't know how you would get that i mean i would love to see it but what do you mean because apparently it just seems well like first of all well it's because it was um originally romancing saga 2's uh, remake was mobile and vita only and now this now they're saying they're releasing it on vita and other consoles well scarlet grace was vita only if they're porting a vita game to other consoles they might be willing to port the other vita um saga game to other consoles and give it a bit more of a uh wider release in the west or something i, I mean I, I would definitely love to see that i know of course that this this was initially a mobile game that got ported to the vita in japan and that we're yeah. just getting that particular version so i mean i would love to see so scarlet grace because that was a game that was well received in japan yeah. As well. oh yeah it's great i played a little bit of it i still need to get um get deeper into it but it's a really really interesting uh game very yeah. very Thing. that's definitely i mean it's obviously the latest entry in the series which you know you hope that it just would also Fantastic be one of those soundtrack. oh yeah I, i'm not surprised at all because the saga series on a whole has had an amazing soundtrack so i'm, I'm excited to hear more but uh, see more about that and hopefully get to play it myself um but uh yeah it's it's just great to see this still like the, he's filling a promise that he made uh which is great because you don't see that too often sometimes uh especially when it comes to localizations like that um and I imagine that it was just trying to work out how exactly they were going to make it work for the Vita. Uh, but I think it's a perfect platform as well, just like it was a mobile. Because it's the perfect, it's great, it's crazy to think that way back on the Super Nintendo, and I remember talking about this during our Game of the Year discussions last year, that it's a game that's very enjoyable in bite-sized chunks because it's designed that way. It's broken up in such a way that it's perfect for like, if you only have a little bit of time to kill, it, you can get a, a full, your full value of it uh, just by in, in small moments. And the fact that it's coming to Vita and yes, other consoles is very promising and just leads to that, uh, whether they're going to maybe expand further on that series in the future. And maybe that Scarlet Grace Polly didn't get uh, a lot of, maybe a lot of coverage in Japan, as it could have, so maybe this will give it a, a much bigger lease on life. I imagine it'll did be on... really well in Japan, from what I understand. But... Oh, it's good. That's good for a Vita only game. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, uh, maybe it'll come to PC and that'll really boost its numbers because even if it's going to come to consoles, it might get swallowed up a little bit uh, in December because we'll have like other games to play. Um, but if it comes to PC, I think that'll really help and uh, maybe even Switch. But I kind of it's kind of hard to say because like the only thing we've got so far from that side is like the Secret of Mana collection when it comes to like old games well, being redone. I could I could see it maybe going to Switch just because well mobile devices are ARM, yeah. it's ARM, and then the Switch is ARM. So yeah. I imagine that it would probably be fairly that's, easy to port. That's my yeah. that that was my thinking. In fact, that it was it's just it, the Tegra uh, also uh, is it's sort of like it, it lends itself uh, to be. Uh, easy to port in a sense so we'll see but that's all they he kind of gave on twitter uh which yes this was from a, a tweet that he made so i, I kind of wonder why he was kind of vague about the other consoles but <laughs> whatever we'll find out in, in in less than a month i assume uh 
but the other bit of news that we've got here, uh, which I'm incredible with segues, I hope you noticed. Final Fantasy XII, the Zodiac Age, is re-adding the Sky Pirates Den, which was uh, in the original version, in the international version, but not on... If, correct me if I'm wrong, was that even in the original version or just the international? It was in the original. Oh, okay, okay. I, I think they might have added a couple of, like... So what it is, it, it's kind of like it was kind of like an in-game achievement system before achievements were a thing. You do certain things, you collected certain things or whatever. Um, you would get a little like animated sprite that that kind of shows up on this menu. So it was literally for the for the remaster, they removed that system, but a lot of those requirements to get those little sprite things were the exact same for like certain trophies. So it was basically yeah. like the trophies replaced them, and. Uh, now basically they're just bringing it back. So it's just a little like, it's like if you beat certain bosses or if you collect certain you know items or whatever, um, getting all the the uh, the the summons, the espers, and things like that. You get these little sprites, which I like because sprites are cool. It did look pretty cute. It reminded me a lot of um, because I totally forgot about it. It reminded me of that DS Final Fantasy twelve game, the sequel supposedly. Was Revenant it, Wings. It? Yes, Revenant Wings. I've played Revenant Wings, and I like remember like nothing about it i don't i played it as well and i totally don't remember it i just i do remember (laughs) that some of the final levels it's like a weird like srpg kind of rts type thing and i remember they're like an rpg either it was weird it was mostly strategy yeah it was like rt it was more rts Uh, i remember reading about it in nintendo power once and was like four pages or something and i don't think i ever played it so what all I was going to say is I remember I got pretty close to the end of the game, but I, it, it, it gets to the point where like, it was like a battle of attrition where like I kept, I could create, I could keep creating character units and the enemy could keep creating character units. And like, we, like the battle just would not end. Cause it was, it was like an RTS game. You had to like stop their, their, their character factories or whatever. I remember I got to the point where I was just like, this is tedious. Where's my action replay? I'm going to like give myself like a million stats and just wipe to write the rest of the game. <laughs> Do you cheat in Final Fantasy XII, the original as well with your action replay? <laughs> no, just the, just that DS game. Cause okay, I, okay. I was just getting really tired of that. Uh, the, how, how long the battles were taking. So I, I did eventually go back and um, use a, like a, a pre-made save for Final Fantasy XII just so I could beat it again, just so I refresh myself on that. It was ridiculous, but that's yeah, that's it's 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 cool for them to be re-adding features. That's already in the game as of a few days ago. They just released a patch for that, but that was correct me if I'm wrong. They they announced uh, this big live event for Final Fantasy XII. I wouldn't say big, but they just announced it was going to be a live stream. And this was all that really came out of it. We were kind of hoping for a PC announcement because that's going to be coming eventually, no doubt. But like, I was kind of shocked. I guess they're too focused on 15 or something like that. I don't know. I expect when a PC announcement does come, it'll be just World of Final Fantasy style, where it's just a press release some random morning. Like, hey, this is coming. <laughs> this is coming to Steam in three weeks. Uh, hopefully, it's not as bad a port as World of Final Fantasy was. Apparently, a very limited port. Uh, great game, just limited port. Uh, Actually, that is a better port than uh, Lost Dimension, but yeah. It reminds me that World of Final Fantasy came out last year. I was actually kind of anxious for a second, thinking I still need to play that before it came to the yeah. We're okay. Um, maybe Dragon Quest Builders will come to PC. We'll see about that. Uh, yeah, so that's that's another piece of news. And speaking about PC, uh, Neverwinter Nights Enhanced Edition was announced, which is amazing because, coincidentally enough, uh, Kazuma, huge fan of Neverwinter Nights, uh, she, uh, excuse me, 
he hopped on the podcast a few weeks ago for the first time, and he talked about how big a fan he was of the game. And I was kind of excited to hear that coming out. It's a great game. Anyone who's played uh, the old Baldur's, Quet, Baldur's, uh, excuse me, Baldur's Gate, Dark Alliance games, or anything like that, it's or Diablo, of course, it's kind of like that style game. Uh, I think the biggest thing was the fact that it was perfect for like the modded community with the amazing tool set that it had. Uh, they continue to update it. And the Roar tool set does make a return in here. Uh, they added some, even some new features on that. Um, and of course, they redid it all in 16 by 9. Um, so instead of like, we're talking about a game that came out like 20 years ago. Uh, it's great to see that happening. Uh, they added all the uh, premium modules, the expansion packs, uh, Shadows of Undertide, and Hordes of the Underdark. They added that stuff, and it's perfect, and it's 20 bucks. It's Beamdog, of course, the people that handled the Baldur's Gate Enhanced Editions 1 and 2. Um, I'm just curious. They did that. They did Icewind Dale, of course. Have any of you ever gone back and played those games? I don't know if you played them originally, but did you play any of the enha- uh, the originals or the enhanced versions of these uh, this games? This is actually a big hole in my backlog. Uh, I played a little bit of the original Baldur's Gate, and I bought the Baldur's Gate Enhanced Editions. I, I think both of them, because they both got one, right? And I yeah, bought yeah. the Icewind Dale Enhanced Editions. And like now I'm probably going to get this Enhanced Edition. And at some summer sometime, I'm just going to have to be like, I'm just going to play all these classic games because i need to <laughs> oh i mean my the hole in my library is planescape i've yet to play it but i've heard yeah amazing i haven't played that either that. Yeah, it's, God, the toy I, worth it though i really need to play a lot of those older um, pc rpgs i would say they i mean it's obviously visually it's probably not as impressive of course that it used to be i mean they did make some uh visual enhancements but it's not gonna you know blow you away but as someone who likes sprites adam i think you'd really enjoy it because no. they really go beyond and above and beyond for that stuff yeah, and I know the writing in those games are usually like really well done. Oh, I heard Planescape yeah. is having better writing than Baldur's Gate, so I kind of yeah. doing myself a disservice having not played it. I still need to get to playing Divinity Original Sin too. So there's a lot of CRPGs that are uh, sort of on there. Yeah, I'm so bad. Like I really like CRPGs. Like I've only played a very few. I've liked all the ones I played, but there's just so many I haven't played yet. And I just like I know if I were to just sit down and play them, that I would love them. Like I am confident that I would. I just haven't. <laughs> oh, I think you would so, love Baldur's Gate. Yeah. They're incredible, incredible games, and they still yeah. hold up. Like I played Baldur's Gate Two: Shadows of Om not long ago, maybe like yeah. four or five years ago, and I still really enjoyed it. Thrones, Throne of Ball is also pretty good. It's basically you're like. Uh, you're sort of a servant of Ball, who's like the devil uh, of, of a realm, and you're just doing his bidding, and you go around killing people. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. I even read the book <laughs> that it was based that they created based on the game. Uh, it was pretty uh, fun stuff. So I do highly recommend playing it. Neverwinter Nights definitely good if you like the like I said the Diablo style things, or if you want to just try out the tool set. It's definitely a fascinating and really uh, simple to get into. Uh, of course, there's a lot if you want to sort of master on that but uh, i don't know how applicable it is for the modern gaming but it's it's still pretty fun to try out and i'm sure like obsidian is still tinkering with it to this day uh they're of course um obsidian uh helped make a lot of these games so uh i'm i'm excited to see how this will come out but yeah 20 bucks um but I'm sorry, when when was that coming out? I'm, I'm trying to pull up the date here i don't think they did they announce a date for that or is it just or Neverwinter Nights? Uh, yeah, the Enhanced Edition. I'm trying to find a date here, and I don't think I've got it. Um, it just says it's ongoing development. Okay, we're just going to leave it at that. It's yeah, it doesn't, I don't think it has it. It says coming soon. Yeah, okay. coming soon. I'm sorry. That's Yeah, I just pulled up the Steam page, and it said coming soon, which is great. Yeah. 
so let's move into the last piece of news here. This will be a very short one. Uh, so Ben and Emco, along with Bandai Namco Southeast Asia, uh, announced that uh, the new entry in Super Robot Wars will be announced December 11th at 9 p.m. Japan time, or 4 a.m. Pacific. So uh, you can watch that on their YouTube channel, the stream itself, uh, which is youtube.com slash user slash NBGI. So Namco Bandai Games Inc., I guess. <laughs> no, huh? it's NBGI. So yeah, um, you can watch the whole stream on there. Of course, we'll have news on the site ourselves on RPGSite.net. But that's kind of cool. I was actually, I didn't, uh, I don't know if, James, did you ever play any of the Super Robot Wars games? Um, one of my coworkers over at uh, Tech Raptor was gushing about the latest one, um, Super Robot Wars V, I think. Yes, it's a v. five. Not a five. It's actually a V. It's, it's a supposed v. to stand for victory. He oh. gr- drilled that into my head. It's it's <laughs> um, v for victory. I've heard that it's supposed to be very very good. I still need to play it though. Apparently, apparently, yeah. It's, I mean, apparently the translation is actually fairly good. They did release a... a patch. They apparently like there's a whole catalog that they translated and did a much better job than they did of uh, OG old generation. They apparently they, they kind of messed with that one, but V my, did much better. I really don't have much interest in these games, but my my understanding was that the Moon Dwellers game, which released in 2016, yes. um, that translation for English in Asian markets was not good. And Super SRW five V whatever was a lot better. Yes, uh, Josh, of course, um, Josh Torres. He reviewed both games for the site or covered them anyway. And yeah, he had really good things to say about it. And uh, obviously, with OG Moon Dwellers, they didn't really have many licensed properties. It's supposed to be all original content. So yeah, uh, we kind of assumed that, that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's kind of I think it came out on the game board. And it was the same. It was like the first game that didn't have any licensed characters. But like. Um, from my understanding is that uh yeah the the first one wasn't that great and they did a far and we just assume that because there's no original characters that was an easy reason why they put it out in english in asia at least or at least that the potential there was that was there for localization they did announce gundam versus i guess for the west so that was kind of iffy about that uh but super robot wars v they did a far better job on that and uh it's great it apparently seems like there's going to be an immediate english release at least in in asia when that game whatever they're going to announce on december 11th gets announced so that's a couple weeks uh we'll of course have news on the site when that happens but i felt like for the super robot wars fans out there uh something to look forward to uh it definitely is a series that i think we could cover more of because it's just such a long storied franchise uh that's got so many entries and it's I just enjoy going back and watching the different cutscenes and cinematics that they do because it's kind of it's a real treat to watch, especially because they mix in like um, so over to the top. Oh yeah, so, like so Neon Gen- Genesis Evangelion characters uh, with with like um, with. Um, uh, I guess the way Gundam. to explain it to people that aren't into mechs, think of Project X Zone, but with various mech anime properties. Oh, totally, like a lot of the cutscenes are kind of the same as well. I mean, it's definitely more strategy based, of course. Uh, but it's definitely the kind of a um, in the same vein, especially with the strategy style to it. With when you see like you go to a world map and see the characters, and then you move them around and, and they uh, initiate contact, and then you just see crazy cutscenes. Not always, but the ones that do when they go over the top, it's extremely fun to watch. <laughs> so uh, I'm. It's definitely a series that I wish I played more of. I only played like when it came out on the DS. I think I played that one, but that's that's about it. So that's it for the news. Uh, let's wrap up where you guys can find us. Like I said, you can find us on RPGSite.net. 
You can also find us on at RPG Site on Twitter, uh, Facebook page, Facebook.com slash RPG Site Net, YouTube.com slash RPG Site Net. Subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Just search for TetraCast. A permanent Discord link, discord.me slash RPG Site. And finally, we'd like to share where you can find us on Twitter. So where can they find you, James? They can find me at the sweet T H E S W W E E T. And Adam? Uh, K-I-N-G underscore S-E-D-A. And you can find me at Zach Reese. Before we go, uh, because this takes place a day after Black Friday, I was curious, did either of you buy anything for Black Friday? Um, I bought one game on Black Friday proper, and that was Yakuza Kwame because it was 20 bucks at Best Buy. I had actually gone in to try and get that uh, $80 uh, 4-terabyte external hard drive, and they were out of it, so... I figured, well, I'll try to get something if there's something I hadn't already picked up. And Yakuza Kwame, they had the seal book for 20 bucks, So I was like, okay, that works. That's pretty good. It's surprising how many years later that those hard drives are usually the first to go. It's like TVs. I don't know how popular they are. Adam, yeah. did you buy anything at all? I bought one Steam game. It was $10 off Trails of Cold Steel. Ah, okay. Yeah. It, you haven't played it yet, have you? You're still like... No. I played the first three. Yes. I just haven't played the Cold Steel games yet. Chosen Sky, of At this point, you might as well wait for the fan translation. For I am not really interested in the fan translation. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I would, I'm looking forward to... If it's not, not just, like, the translation itself, but I just, I think I'd rather have just, like, a an official PC release. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I'm not really that invested in the series. Oh, well. I might, I might. I mean, I haven't played two or th- uh, second chapter or third chapter of Trails and Sky, so... Talking about the fan translations now seems kind of meaningless. Yeah, (laughs) sorry, sorry, the third. Okay, I just meant like the the second and third entries. Um, Yeah, I I bought a bunch of stuff, guys. I spent way more money than I thought I was going to, honestly. Oh, gosh. A lot of computer stuff. Uh, New shoes. Oh, yeah, you haven't. I've been looking at you on Twitter. Uh, I remember like in the uh, staff Discord a few weeks ago, you were saying that you were trying to get a new phone. You didn't pick one up yet? No, 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 because, well, like, I would have gotten that new Pixel phone, but, like, there's some screen issues, and it's too still too expensive, you know? It's, like, it's the idea of spending over $800 on a phone, it just doesn't, especially if it might get replaced in a year, it's kind of difficult for me to do that. I was going to buy that Samsung S8, because it was on sale, but, like, it, there's no guarantee it's going to get updates, and that was, like, the most infuriating thing about my asus send phone i used to own that i cracked because why, not, why is there uh, no guarantee it's going to get updates because like it could they have want a, you to buy the s9 yeah that's okay. that's and the s9 is going to come out this spring so it's like uh they're not really simpson's not that great about like uh making sure that there's continued support with the pixel google said like you're gonna have three years of support like that's like that's what they said immediately and that's kind of got me really interested in it I might pick up the original Pixel 2. It's a 5-inch phone, though, but we'll see. I already own the Nexus 5, which is from ages ago, so I just know that it's really hard to play Animal Crossing Pocket Kingdom with it, when it, Pocket Camp when I went on an old phone like this, so we'll see. Yeah. Um, I lucked out when I got my new phone. Got an LG G6 like, right before E3 this year, and managed to pay only like 12 bucks a month for 24 months so yeah i might i might do one of those it's it's oh it's a it's a great phone fantastic camera fantastic camera um yeah i might have to go on a payment plan just so i can deal with it but at least i don't have to worry about paying extra on top of it it's usually just the price of the phone so that's that's kind of nice but yeah i mean i'll take a picture and post it when i get all my stuff in but i bought a lot of stuff guys (laughs) that's all i'm gonna say spend way i didn't buy a phone but i did buy 
enough. Uh, and this is like the most I've spent on a Black Friday in many years. So we'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to share it, though. But that's it for our podcast, though. Uh, once again, I'd like to thank Adam and James for being a part of this and everyone out there for listening. Uh, catch us next week for another edition of the TetraCast. It'll be the day after Xenoblade Chronicles 2 comes out. So we'll see if maybe Josh will come on and talk about it. Uh, but we'll deal with that then. So for now, thank you, everyone. And catch us next time for another edition of the TetraCast. Bye, everyone.